So Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One of the themes that you discover in the Bible a lot is the theme of partnership. And you'll notice it's mentioned here um, in, verse, in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel. I want us to take that idea of partnership and really think about that. I'm going to use an image that if you've been at Globe Church, you'll have heard us talk a lot about. We've talked a lot about holding the rope. Partnership is about holding the rope. Now, there's different things you can do with a rope. Um, does anyone know who this is? Oh, hang on. Anyone know who that is? What does he do with the rope? He cuts the rope. That's Omnom from a computer game. If you don't know who that is, that's very, very impressive. Uh, it's, you've really not missed out. Uh, this is Omnom. He cuts the rope. And one of our dangers as, as people and as humanity is that we can want to live on our own individual lives, where we cut the rope and live for our own little world in isolation. It may be that you've been hurt by people in the past. It may be that you struggle. It may be that you find it hard and you prefer to live in isolation. So many people live their lives pushing people away, cutting the rope. But not only do do some people cut the rope. You can also get people who pull the rope in different directions. And you have tug of war, and you have a group at this end, and a group at this end. They pull in different directions. And you know, that can sometimes be what people do. They live their lives trying to pull everyone else in their direction. They live their lives trying to go the way they want, doing whatever they want. And they pull the rope rather than hold it. And if you pull the rope and you're all pulling in different directions, you're going to end up in chaos of relationships, right? But we're not talking about cutting the rope or pulling the rope. We're talking about holding the rope. And I saw an extraordinary example of this um, on Frozen Planet a few years ago. They went to this little um, Eskimo, uh, Inuit um, tribe. And they followed this tribe, and they got in the boat, and they went to these cliffs where there are nesting birds on these sheer cliffs. And they climbed up to the top of these cliffs, these, these, uh, these tri- this tribe. There's about six men. 
And the oldest one, because he was the lightest, um, he tied a rope around his middle. Literally, just a, not, just a thin rope. And the five guys at the top stood at the top of this cliff, holding it, and he just lowered himself off. And he scaled down the cliff, collecting eggs as they go, trying to get eggs from the cliff edge, and all the while he's trusting the guy who's holding the rope at the top. Now, the thing that made me slightly um, baffled by this thing was that there was the BBC were filming it. All right? And they, you know how they do at the end of these documentaries? They show how they made it. So, right, so they filmed it with this guy with full climbing gear, massive stakes hammered into the ground, full kit going, this is really scary, with his camera, filming this old bloke with a rope around his thing. You go, this doesn't feel right. Anyway, the point is, the five guys at the top were holding the rope, and they were absolutely part of the team, and they were working together, and the one who went over the edge was really taking the bigger risk, but everyone was involved. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a partnership where we hold the rope and we say, we're in this together. This isn't cut the rope, see you later, goodbye. This isn't pull the rope, let's go our own way. This is hold the rope, let's do something, let's do it together, and let's work in partnership. Now, to be in partnership, you have to have something in common. I mean, that's literally what the word partnership in Philippians chapter 1 means. It means common sharing. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's that idea of fellowship, of having something in common. Now, you know what it's like. If you meet someone who has something in common with you, you have a connection, right? So you meet someone who grew up in the same town as you, and that's exciting. You go, oh, we've got that in common. And the smaller the place is, the more exciting it is. So if you meet someone and they say, oh, I grew up in London, you're like, okay, so what? That's nice, so did I. But if you grow up in Basingstoke, <laughs> I have a thing for Basingstoke, and you meet someone else who grew up in Basingstoke, you grew up in Basingstoke? This is so exciting. Which school did you go to? What street did you live in? What friends did you have? Suddenly you've got a connection. A partnership is about having something in common. Or it may be that you share the same hobby. It may be you support the same football team. When I meet a Southampton football fan, it's rare. (laughs) But the rareness makes it all the sweeter. It may be that you have the same illness. You've had the same illness as a child. Right, here's a weird thing. When I was a child, I had a very, very rare disease. Very, I'd never met anyone in my life who'd ever had the same thing as me. Phil had it too. (laughs) Genuinely, we both had osteomyelitis of something or whatever. Seriously. It was very exciting. We had a long conversation about our common shared experience. Right, You get the point. Partnership is about having something in common. So here's the question. As we think about partnership this afternoon, we've got to do two things. We've got to think about what is the foundation of this partnership we've got. What is the foundation that is going to connect us? Because we are talking about something that is more than a common history. It's more than a common hobby. It's more than a common interest. It is actually founded in an identity. The partnership that we're talking about today 
is founded in an identity. Look at how Paul starts his letter. Look at the first verse. Honestly, the first verse of this letter is like dynamite. Look what he says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. So he's introducing himself and Timothy, his uh, fellow, uh, his colleague. And he describes himself as someone who serves Christ in humility. And he writes to this church, look how he describes them, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Here is what absolutely grounds the partnership we're talking about today. It is this fundamental identity that to be a Christian is to be one of God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Now, it may be that you sit and you think, oh, that sounds nice, but I'm not entirely sure what it means. Let me tell you, there is no more precious description of what it means to be a human being than that. It doesn't get better than that. Let me try and persuade you that's true. What does it mean to be one of God's holy people in Christ Jesus? Well, let's, let's just work this through. I'm going to do this quite quickly, so stick with it. Let's follow this through. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, it may be you're, you're not a Christian. You're here this afternoon. If you want to know why we get so excited about Jesus, this is why. To be one of God's holy people, let's start with the word holy. Well, the first thing you need to know is that God is holy. It's one of the words that describes God in his very essence. He is awesome and perfect and pure and righteous and blazing and glorious and other. He is distant. He is magnificent. He's holy. God is holy. In fact, there's a part of the Bible in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah, a prophet, sees a vision and the angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It may be that we have very small views of God. The Bible will not allow that. The Bible says God is massive, he's magnificent, and he's holy. And if we could see him now, we would fall down in terror and wonder at who he is. There is something so spectacularly beautiful about the holiness of God. So God is holy, but what's that got to do with God's holy people? Well, here's the second thing you need to know, and that is that we are not holy. By nature, we're not like God. By nature, we do all sorts of things wrong. By nature, we are selfish. In, in many ways, if you like, we were created by this God, but we cut the rope. We're omnom. He does it for sweets. We did it for a piece of fruit. We did it for independence. We did it to declare, no, we'll do it our way. We are not holy. And that is a big problem. Because God is holy and we are not. And therefore, we need to stay at a distance. In fact, you put a whacking great curtain between God and humanity. You put a huge divide, anything to stop holiness and unholiness meeting. Because if I was to walk into the presence of God, I would be destroyed because he's holy. 
You may say, well, this isn't really very upbeat and we're not really getting anywhere. I'm working on it. God's holy people. You need to know that God is holy. We are not holy. But here's the third thing. God makes us holy. You see, we spend our lives, many people, trying to make themselves holy, trying to holify themselves, trying to do stuff that will make them fit for God. And all the time, it's a futile effort because God is so far above us. So God has this plan. God has this plan where he, the holy God, looks at an unholy person like me and he says, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you fit for me. I'm going to sort you out so that you can be in my presence. I'm going to make you holy. And how does he do it? He does it by joining us to Christ. God's holy people in Christ Jesus. If you were to ask Phil Tinker what his favorite truth, his favorite doctrine is, he would tell you it's union with Christ. That is to be united with Christ. That God's plan, the holy God, how is he going to make unholy people holy? He's going to send his son Jesus into the world in order that in all his perfection and holiness, and Jesus Christ will die on a cross to take the sin that, uh, that is mine. And I will be united with Christ so that all that is his becomes mine. His holiness becomes mine. Now, don't worry if you don't understand all this. You just need to know it's awesome. You can work it out more. You can look it more into this. But here is the fundamental reality of this partnership. It is based on this identity that the holy God has taken unholy people and made them holy by joining them to Christ. Jesus didn't just come to be a teacher or a guru or a mentor to point the way and say, go that way. He didn't even just come to die on a cross and then go back to heaven. He came so that we would be joined to him. So that we'd be tied to him with a rope that cannot be broken. So do you want to know who you are this afternoon if you're a Christian? You're one of God's holy people in Christ Jesus. That's where the partnership starts. That's what it rests on. And we need a profound sense of the wonder of that identity. Phil and Vicky, as you go to Vietnam, my great prayer for you is that this identity would mean everything to you. That this would be your anchor and your rock. That you'd go saying, we are God's holy people in Christ Jesus. And so are they. And that means we're connected. And you see, that's the common partnership. That's the rope. That's what we're holding on to. So there's the foundations of partnership. It is identity. But we've only done verse 1. Um, all of that comes through grace and peace. You continue to need grace and peace. Let's keep moving on. We're now going to look at the nature of partnership. 
So let's try and get practical. If that is the foundation, if that identity is what, re- is what unites us and joins us together, well, what is the nature of this partnership? What does it look like? We're going to go through these. I'm going to show you four things really quickly about what this partnership should look like. Here's the first thing. It should be a partnership marked by joy. So look what Paul says. So Paul is somewhere over here in prison. Philippi is over here. And as he sits in prison, and as he thinks and prays for the church in Philippi, do you notice what he says? I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. (laughs) Because of your partnership. You see, joy is what flows out of a partnership rooted on identity. Part of today feels very, very sad. It's sad to say goodbye. But because of this partnership, this identity, there is a joy too, right? There's a joy as we think of Phil and Vicky. Paul is excited about the Philippians because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Our joy in our partnership with the Tinkers goes back to the first day of Globe Church. Literally the first day of Globe Church, before it even began. And that should bring us joy. Joy not because Phil and Vicky are so lovely and wonderful and we love them and they're great, which they are. But joy because they are God's holy people in Christ Jesus. Joy because we share this same fundamental identity. And therefore, I think it is right for us as a church to pursue joy. Joy in our relationships. You know, sometimes we can be a bit kind of like, um, oh yeah, I have joy, I just need to have joy in God, I just want to have joy in God. That's not enough. Joy in God is not enough to sustain you. Part of our joy in God overflows in our joy in one another. We are supposed to find joy in one another. Paul talks about the Philippians later on in the letter as his joy. So as we think of Phil and Vicky, and Phil and Vicky, as you think of us at Globe Church, I hope that there'll be that joy. So let's pursue joy because of this partnership in the gospel. And this is a partnership that continues, that goes back to the first day of Globe Church, but continues. This is not the end. This is fully beginning not leaving Globe Church. They're still very much part of our church family, and I know many others from other churches want to echo the same sentiments. So joy, but let's look at the second one, and that is confidence. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here is our confidence. This partnership, because of this partnership, this, uh, this fundamental identity where we hold the rope, and as Phil and Vicky go to Vietnam, we're holding the rope for them. 
We don't do it going, oh man, I hope they're going to be okay. Cross our fingers. Let's hope it's all going to be okay. We go saying, we know it's going to be okay. We know it. There is a confidence in our partnership with one another. Why? Because it is God who is working. It is God who has begun a good work, and it's God who will carry that work on to completion. God is not going to fail. And therefore, because this identity is the holy God taking unholy people and making us holy by joining us to Christ, because that's God's work, do you think he's now going to go, damn, bored, I'm going to go and do something else? That's the work he started that he's going to carry on. That's true for every single person who's trusting Jesus. If he has begun a work in you, he will not stop. He will carry it on to completion. That's our confidence. The first running race I was ever in, um, it was a sprint. I was only about six. And I stood on the start line. Phil's heard this story hundreds of times. Uh, I stood on the start line, and uh, the, the starter said, go, which was exciting for me. So I went, and I ran as fast as I could. I had very little idea of what to expect, but I was there running and going as fast as I could. And to my surprise, about um, 20 meters into the race, I looked around, and I was winning, which is, I was quite surprised by this, but it was exciting. It encouraged me. So I carried on. I sprinted and sprinted and sprinted, and I was still winning, and I was feeling good, and my mum was screaming at the side, and everything was, was so exciting. Then I noticed something. I noticed in front of me two adults, which made me nervous. And they had, right in front of me, like, a, I don't know, rope or ribbon or something, right where I was going to run, right blocking my way. And my little six-year-old brain's going, what's that there for? I don't... They're trying to trip me up. This is... They must think I'm stupid. So I ran, literally, I promise, six years old, I ran, and I stopped here. And everybody's going, run through, run through it. Everybody else ran past me, and I came last. <laughs> Still quite painful, but thanks for laughing. Um, now look, this is... This is the point, okay? This is the point. God doesn't do that. He doesn't get near the finish line and then stop. He doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He's going to be at work. He's at work in every single one of you who knows, God, who knows the Lord Jesus. You're one of his holy people in Christ Jesus. He's not given up on you. He's not finished with you. You may say, well, I've really stuffed up. I've really messed up. God's not finished. Get up. Get your eyes back on Christ. Put your confidence back in him and keep running. Keep running until you run through the tape and until you reach the finish line. Until the day of Christ Jesus when it's completed and when Jesus himself will give you your crown and will say, well, run. And you'll say, but what about all the times I fell over? He said, what times? What times? We did it. And as we send Phil and Vicky, we send them in this confidence. Not that they're awesome and they're going to do a great job, but that God is awesome and he's going to do a great job. 
Not because they've got the gifts to change Vietnam, but because God has the power to change Vietnam. You see, it's in his power and it's his work. And so we send them with confidence. Thirdly, we send them with affection. I love verses 7 and 8. If you ever think that the Apostle Paul is a little bit cold and distant, listen to this. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And we may say, oh, look, he's gone all a bit soppy. No, he hasn't. He's speaking truth. You see, when, when Disney do that, oh, you're in my heart, you know, you're never far away, we're always together, we'll always be together, together in whatever. Whenever, you know, when, when Disney say that, it's like sentimental slush. When Paul says it, it's actually true. Because of the rope, because we're connected, because of the partnership, because of the fellowship. Together we participate in Christ, because Phil and Vicky are in Christ, and I'm in Christ, therefore... We're there. Paul's sitting in a prison cell, but he says, I'm with you. I'm absolutely, you're, with, you're in my heart. And that's why he can speak like this. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirm the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is what partnership looks like. It is an affectionate, deeply emotional thing. We care. That's how Paul speaks. And that's why Paul can say, I have you in my heart. And this is the staggering beauty of prayer. It means that when Phil and Vicky and Rosie and Lydia are in Vietnam and we're sitting here in central London, we can pray and be connected because we're in Christ. And we can love them. Now, I think the interesting thing is, and, and I, I, I just want to put a slight um, warning, not warning on this, but it's like caveats. I think one of the interesting things is that Phil and Vicky and Rosie and Lydia are so lovely and so cute. And I mean, you're not cute, but they're cute. That um, it isn't difficult to feel affection, right? When they're near. This is actually true of everybody who's in Christ Jesus. Not just the people that you find it easy to be affectionate to. If you are one of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, and they are one of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, then you are united together. And that is why Paul says, I long for you, not with my affection, but with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, what I experience is not my natural feeling, it is the, it is the affection that Christ has. So because Jesus loves them, I will love them with his love. Do you see? It means this is more than just a feeling. It's more than just an emotion. It's a choice. And there may be people who you say, well, I don't really get on very well with them. I'm very happy to be partners with Phil and Vicky going to Vietnam. We like them. But I, no, that won't do. We need to ask God, please, Lord Jesus, would you fill me with your affection for, 
for my brothers and sisters, for the God's holy people in Christ Jesus. So Phil and Vicky, as you go, I want you to be in, under no doubt that we love you and we long for you with an affection of Christ Jesus. And you are precious to us. And one final thing before we get too emotional. Here we go. Um, this partnership will be ambitious. There will be ambition. Look how Paul prays. We have to do this quick. We could spend all day on this. Verse 9, and this is my prayer. Right, you want to have to pray for Phil and Vicky? Here you go. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That is some prayer. That's not just that, oh, please help um, so-and-so's need to feel better because they've got a nasty bit. It's, um, this is a massive prayer. These people are God's holy people in Christ Jesus. So what do I want for them? I want them to live out the fullness of their identity. To abound with love. You say, well, love for who? I don't know God, everybody. Love for all of the other Christians. Love for God. Love for Jesus. Love for the lost. To overflow and abound with love. So that they would overflow. So that they would know Christ more. And be filled with fruit of righteousness that flows over. It's massive prayer. So one of my challenges, well, one of the challenges from Philippians for us is as we pray for Villain Vicky, let's not pray small prayers. Partnership prays big. Partnership holds the rope and then goes, right, let's pray big prayers. Let's pray that God would do extraordinary things. Let's pray that God would fill them and have overflow, that they would abound with love, that they would know Christ and understand Christ and be filled with Christ, that they might overflow him, so that he, on the day when Jesus returns, they would be pure and blameless, and all the glory would go to him. That's how we pray. That's what partnership looks like. So here's partnership. Starts with our identity. Let's be clear on that. Joy, confidence, affection, ambition. That's what we want for you guys. That's what we want for one another, isn't it? And if you meet with a friend from church this week who's struggling, hold the rope for them. Tell them you're holding the rope. 